0: Chapter Ten of Doom Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Doom Castle by Neil Munro. Chapter Ten. Sim MacTaggart Chamberlain. On the roof of a high old church, with as little architectural elegance as a dry stone barn a bell jerked by a rope from the churchyard indicated the close association of law and the kirk by ringing a sort of triumphal peal to the procession of the judges between the court-room and the inn contesting with its not too dulcet music blared forth the fanfare of two gorgeous trumpeters in scarlet and gold lace tie wigs silk stockings and huge cocked heads who filled the street with a brassy melody that suggested gabriel's stern and awful judgment summons rather than gave lightness and rhythm to the feet of those who made up the procession the procession itself had some dreadful aspects and elements as well as others incongruous and comical the humorous fancy might see something to smile at in the two gray-wigged bent old men in long scarlet coats who went in front of the trumpeters, prepared to clear the way if necessary though a gust of shrewd wind would have blown them off their feet by means of the long poled halberds they carried but this impression of the farcicle was modified by the nature of the body whereof they were the pioneers or advance-guard sleek magistrates and counsellors in unaccustomed black suits and silver buckled shoes the provost ermined at their head showed the way to the more actual the more dignified embodiment of stern scots law at least a score of wigs were there from the parliament house of edinburgh a score of dusty gowns accustomed to sweep the lobbies of the courts of session gathered the sand of the burke street and in their midst walked the representatives of that old feudal law at long last ostensibly abandoned and of the common law of the land Argyll was in a demure equivalent of some court costume with a dark velvet coat a ribbon of the thistle upon his shoulder a sword upon his haunch and for all his sixty-six years he carried himself less like the lawyer made at utrecht like justice-general and extraordinary lord of session then like the old soldier who had served with marlborough and had took the field for the house of hanover in seventeen fifteen my lords elkies and Kilcoran walked on either side of him Kilcoran, with the lacklustre eye of the passionate mathematician the studious moralist devoted to midnight oil a ruddy tall sturdy man well filling the crimson and white silk gown elkies, A shrivelled atomy with a hurpling walk, leaning heavily upon a rattan, both with the sinister black tricorn heads in their hands, and flanked by a company of musketeers. A great band of children lent the ludicrous element again to the company, by following close upon its heels, chanting a doggerel song to the tune of the trumpets, the populace stood at the close mouths or leaned over their windows looking at the spectacle wondering at the pomp given to the punishment of a steward who a few years ago would have been sent to the gallows by his grace with no more formality than might have attended the sentence of a kipper salmon poacher to whipping at the hands of long davy the dempster his grace was entertaining the lords the council all but the convicts lawyers a lot of disaffected jacobites who took their food by themselves at the inn and brusquely refused his grace's hospitality the magistracy and some county friends to a late dinner at the castle that night and an hour after saw them round the ducal board if count victor was astonished at the squalid condition of things in the castle of the poor baron of doom he would have been surprised to find here within an hour or two's walk of it so imposing in luxuriant a domesticity many lands many hands great wealth won by law battle and the shrewdness of generations enabled argyll to give his castle grandeur and his table the opulence of any southern palace and it was a bright company that sat about his board with several ladies in it for his duchess loved to have her sojourn in the highland home made gay by the company of young women who might by their beauty and light hearts recall her own lost youth a bagpipe stilled in the hall a lute breathed a melody from a neighboring room the servants in claret and yellow livery noiselessly served wine Elcase sourly pursed his lips over his liquor to the mingled amusement and vexation of his grace who knew his lordship's cellar or even the justiciary vault in the town for the first act of the court had been to send down bins from edinburgh for their use on circuit contained no vintage half so good and your grace made reference on the way up to some one killed in the neighbourhood he said as one resuming a topic begun elsewhere not six miles from where we sit replied the duke his cultivated english accent in a strong contrast with the broad burr of the edinburgh justiciar and scarcely a day before you drove past the man shot so far as we have yet learned was a macfarlane one of a small but ancient and extremely dishonest clan, whose country used to be near the head of Loch Lomond. Scarcely more than half a hundred of them survive, but they give us considerable trouble, for they survive at the cost of their neighbours' gear and cattle. They are robbers and footpads, and it looks as if the fatality to one of their number near Doom has been incurred during a raid we still have our raids lord Elkes, in spite of what you were saying on the bench as to the good example this part of the country sets to the rest of the highlands not the raids of old-fashioned perhaps but more prosaic simply thefts indeed that is why i have these troops brought here it is reported to me circumstantially that some of the Appin people are in the key to attempt a rescue of james stewart on his way to the place of execution at letamore they would think nothing of attempting it once he was brought the length of bedelock, if only a law officer or two had him in charge. "'I would have thought the duty of keeping down a ploy of that kind would have been congenial to your own folk,' said Elkes, drenching his nostrils vulgarly with macabre. Argyll smiled. "'You may give us credit for willingness to take our share of the responsibility of keeping Appen in order,' said he. "'I should not wonder if there are half a hundred claymores with hands in them somewhere "'about our old barracks in Mountland. Eh, Simon?' "'And he smiled down the table to his chamberlain. Five and forty to be strict,' said the gentleman, appealed to, "'and never a word more but a sudden stop, "'for his half-eaten plum had miraculously gone from his plate "'in the moment he had looked up at the Duke. "'Was it in your lands?' Asked elkes indifferent, but willing to help on a good topic in a company where a variety of classes made the conversation anything but brisk. No said Argyll, it was in doom the place of a small landowner, Lament, whose castle it is but a ramshackle old digging now you may have noticed on your left as you rode round. Lament himself is a man I have a sort of softness for though to tell the truth he has forced me into more litigation than he had money to pay for and i had patience to take any lasting interest in the baron of doom is that the man cried elkes dryly faith i ken him well some year's sign he was living months at a time in the court of session and eating and sleeping in john's coffee-house and his tale it's a gay old one was that the litigation was always from the other side i mind the man weel baron he called himself though if i mind right his title had never been confirmed by the king and liberian baronium he had no civil nor criminal jurisdiction a black-avised man the last time he came before me mr petullo you were there it was in a long-standing case of multiple pointing, and if i'm no mistaken a place called drimdray or drimdray or something like that changed hands over the head out petullo the writer shrinking near the foot on the table in an adequate sense of his insignificance almost choked himself by gulping the whole glass of wine at his lips in his confusion and broke into perspiration at the attention of the company thus drawn to him he squeaked back an unintelligible acquiescence and completed his own torture by upsetting a compote of fruit upon his black knee breeches opposite the unhappy lawyer sat a lady of extraordinary beauty a haughty cold supercilious sort of beauty remarkable mainly from the consciousness of its display her profile might have been cut from marble by a greek her neck and bust were perfect but her shoulders more angular than was common in that time of bottle-shape were carried somewhat too grandly for a gentle nature the cruelty of her character betrayed itself in a faint irrestrainable smile at petullo's discomfiture all the more cruel because his eyes were entreatingly on hers as he mopped up awkwardly the consequences of his gauchery she smiled but that was not the strangest part of her conduct for at the same time she nudged with her knee the chamberlain who sat next to her and who had brought her into the room to cap the marvel he showed no surprise but took her hint with the conspirator's enforced composure he looked at the little dried-up squeaking creature opposite and refused the lady in gratification of a single sign of the amusement she had apparently expected. She reddened, bit her nether lip, and, "'Your poor man of business is a sore plight,' she whispered, using the name Sim, with significant freedom. "'My dear Kate,' said he quietly, "'as God's my judge I can find nothing to laugh at in the misery of a poor wretch like Yon.' "'That's the second time,' she whispered, with a well-concealed ill-humour, a smile compelled upon her face, but a serpent in her voice. "'The second time,' he repeated, lifting his eyebrows, questioning, and always keeping a shoulder to her, a most chilly exterior. "'Your ladyship is in the humour to give guesses.' She gave a swift reply to some only half-hearted remark by her next-hand neighbor, then whispered to him, "'It's the second time you have been cruel to me to-day. You seem bent on making me unhappy, and it is not what you promised. Am I not looking nice?' "'My dear girl,' said he calmly, "'do you know I am not in the mood for making sport of an old fool to prove my kindness of heart to you?' to me sim she whispered the serpent all gone from her voice and a warm dulcet caressing accent in it while her eyes were melting with discreetly veiled love and i plotted so much to get beside you that is the damned thing he replied between his teeth and smiling the while to some comment of his other neighbor you plot too much my dear I do not want to be unkind, but a little less plotting would become you more. I have no great liking for your husband, as you may guess, but there he's covered with and confusion, and for the look of the thing, if for no more, it would suit his wife to pretend some sympathy. In any case, for God's sake, do not look at me as if I shared your amusement at his trouble, and I'm sure that Elkis, by his glowering, saw you eat my plum mrs petullo cast a glance of disdain at the poor object she was bound to by marriage for position and money and for a moment or two gave no attention to the society of his Grace's chamberlain who was so suspiciously in her confidence simon mactaggart played idly with the stem of his glass he was odd in that biblious age inasmuch as he never permitted wine to tempt his palate to the detriment of his brains and he listened gravely to the conversation that was being monopolized at the head of the table around the duke women liked him indeed women loved this chamberlain of argyll readily more for his eyes and for his voice and for some odd air of mystery and romance in his presence than for what generally pass for good looks he had just the history and the career and reputation that to men and women except the very wisest and the somewhat elderly have an attraction all unreasonable for his youth had been stormy he had known great dangers tremendous misfortunes overcoming both by a natural somewhat spendthrift courage he was credited with more than one amorous intrigue that being in high quarters was considered rather in his favor than otherwise he was high in the esteem of families in the social scale, considerably above his own. That had greatly declined since his people could first boast a coat impelled with the gallery of loam. He was alert mind and body, polite to Pontilio, a far traveller, a good talker, and above all a lover of his kind, so that he went about with a smile, just touched a little by a poetic melancholy, for all. To the women at Argyll's table he was the most interesting man there, and though materially among the least eminent and successful, had it been his humour to start a topic of his own in opposition to his patrons, he could have captured the interest of the gathering in a sentence. But Simon MacTaggart was for once not in the mood for the small change of conversation some weighty thought possessed him that gave his eye a remote quality even when he seemed to be sharing the general attention in the conversation and it was as much resentment at the summons from his abstraction and his mood as a general disinclination to laugh at a wretch's misery on the bidding of the wretch's wife that made him so curt to mrs petullo's advances to him the dinner seemed preposterously unending more than once his hand went to his fob with an unconscious response to his interest in the passage of the time with difficulty he clenched his teeth upon the yawns that followed his forced smiles at the murmured pleasantries of the humble baileys and town councillors in the midst who dared only venture on a joke of their own and that discreetly muffled when there was a pause in the conversation of the duke and the judges and to the woman at his shoulder the one on his left the wife of the provost a little fair-haired doll with a giggling appreciation of the importance of her situation in such grand company and a half-frightened gladness at being so near mactaggart he seemed more mysterious and wonderful than ever mrs petullo without looking at his half-averted face knew by the mere magnetic current from his cold shoulder that of her he was just now weary that with his company as a whole he was bored, and that some interest beyond that noisy hall engaged his abstracted thought. No, the Duke was saying, the murderer has not been discovered, nor indeed have we the most important evidence that there was a murder at all, for the body itself was yet a mere matter of rumour, though of its existence there is no reasonable ground for doubt. It was carried off, as I am informed, by the Macfarlanes whose anxiety to hush the affair is our main proof that they were on no honest expedition when this happened but an affair like that gets bruited abroad it came to us from carindew that the corpse of a macfarlane was carried past in the gloaming by some of his friends anxious to get it smuggled through artkingless with as little public notice as possible acta exteriora indicant interiora to somewhat misapply a well-kent maxim, the race Gestos show. I think that it was a murder on the part of the robbers themselves. It was Elkies who spoke, cracking filberts the while with his great yellow teeth, that gave him so cruel a look upon the bench. As a matter of fact," said the Chamberlain suddenly, "the man was shot by a French pistol." and a hush fell on the table in expectation for further details but they were not forthcoming well i'm astonished to hear it and i hope you know where to lay hands on the homicide said the duke it's none of our affair nowadays said the chamberlain and for by i'm only telling a carried tale after all there may be no more in it than the fancy of the glen Fine folk who told me of it the duke looked at his chamberlain saw that the topic so far as he was concerned was ended and signalled to the duchess it was not the custom of the time but her grace had introduced into her highland court the practice of withdrawing the ladies for some time after dinner and leaving the men to their burling of the wine as they phrased it out she swept at her husband's signal with her company lady Straker, lady charlotte mrs petullo The provost's wife and three or four of no greater importance to our story and of all that were left behind perhaps there was none but her husband who oddly enough as people thought for a duke loved her as if he were a boy courting still to reflect that the room was colder and less human wanting the presence of her and her bright company his grace who cared for the bottle even less than did his chamberlain slid round the wine sunwise for a highlander's notion of luck. The young advocates, who blared somewhat at the eyes when they forgot themselves, felt the menacing sleepiness and glowing content of portations carried to the verge of indiscretion. Kilkerran hummed Petullo hoard, The provost humbly ventured a sculduddery tale the duke politely listening the while to some argument of Elkis upon the right of any one who had been attacked by the MacFarlane's to use arms against them. "'It's a well-allowed principle, Your Grace,' he maintained. "'Arma in armatos sumere jura sinont. The possessor may use violence to maintain his possession, but not to recover that of which he has been deprived.' he looked like a barbary ape as his shrunk jaws masticated the kernels he fed to his mouth with shaking claws something deep and foxishly cunning peered forth below his bristling red eyebrows the duke could not but look at his protruding ears and experience an old sensation of his in the company of the more animal of his fellows that after all a man with a little practice might easily swing among trees or burrow in the earth an ill-trained servant removing empty bottles left the door open behind his grace's chair and through it came the strains of a duet in women's voices accompanied by the strumming of a harp they sang an english air touching upon groves and moonlit waterfalls lady charlotte lending a dulcet second to the air of the duchess who accompanied them on her instrument in sweeping chords and witching faint appreggios into the room that fumed with tobacco and wine and the provost at the second of his tales in the ear of the advocate the harmony floated like the praise of Carabine and stilled at once the noisy disquisition around the board leave the door open said the duke to his servants and they did so when the song was done he felt his gene was calling to him irresistible and he suggested that they had better join the ladies they rose some of them reluctantly from the bottles elkies strewing his front again with snuff to check his hiccoughs mactaggart in an aside to the duke pleaded to be excused for his withdrawal immediately as he felt indisposed i noticed that you were gray-glum to-night said argyle with a kind and even fraternal tone for they were cousins and confidants as well as in a purely business relation to each other i'm thinking we both want some of the stimulant elkies and the provost and the advocate lads take so copiously bah said the chamberlain but sassenachs argyle but sassenachs and they need it all as for us we're born with a flagon of heather ale within us, and we may be doing without the drug they must have poor bodies to make them sparkle Argyll laughed good night then, said he, and a riddance to your vapours before the morning's morning. Mrs. Petullo had begun a song before the duke entered, a melody of the Scots mode, wedded to words that at that period hummed round the country it was the one triumphant moment of her life her musically vocal when she seemed even to the discriminating who drive for character below the mere skin to be a perfect angel pathos regret faith hope and love she could simulate marvellously the last was all that was really hers and even that was lawless she had not half finished the air when the duke came into the room softly on his tiptoes humming her refrain a keen ear might have perceived the slightest of alterations in the tone of her next stanza a quick eye might have noticed a shade of disappointment come to her face when her intent but momentary glance at the door revealed that some one she sought was not entering the only ear that heard the only eye that saw was Kilkerran's. he was a moralist by repute and he would have suspected without reasons when mrs petullo broke down miserably in her third verse he smiled to himself porkly went up to her with a compliment and confirmed his suspicions by her first question which was as to the chamberlain's absence as for the chamberlain he was by now hurrying with great speed through the castle garden only once he slacked his pace and that was when the garden path joined the more open policies of the duke and another step or two would place a thicket of laburnums and hawthorns between him and the sight of the litten windows he hung on his heel and looked back for a minute or two at the castle looming blackly in the darkness against the background of dunquah he could hear the broken stanza of mrs petullo's ballad hem I the damn fool said he half aloud to himself with bitter certainty in their utterance there's my punishment by something sham and I can—it's sham too. I must go through life beguiled from right and content. Here's what was to be the close of my folly, and Sim MacTaggart eager to be a good man if he got anything like a chance, but never the chance for poor Sim MacTaggart. He plunged into the darkness of the road that led to the Maltland barracks where the fifty claymores were quartered. End of Chapter Ten.